0: the chairman and my dear brethren and sisters and our dear young people did you notice in Zechariah chapter 3 and those few verses that we read the repetition of the phrase stand by right in verse 3 Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel and he answered and spake to those that stood before him and then again in verse 5 at the end of verse 5 and the angel of Yahweh stood by and when you go back into chapter 1 you find in verse 8 and verse 10 the same phrase those that stood by, the angels of God that have been sent to and fro through the earth stand by at God's disposal to show themselves strong on behalf of his people. And the promise in verse 7 is the Old Testament equivalent of Luke 20 where it says we shall be made equal unto the angels. Where we have the promise that if we are faithful and keep God's charge then at the end of the verse we have a Places to walk, and the margin has walks, and it really means a right of access. God will grant a right of access to walk amongst these that stand by. And those who received this vision were in no mistaking as to who it was that stood by them. And we're going to come back to Zechariah at the end of this talk, God willing, and to see how they would end up convinced that the angels stood by them in their daily struggle already seen I think quite clearly that this matter of the angels standing by is a very real one through the scriptures they wait on God's pleasure they stand before his throne they stand in the presence of God they encamp around the saints to stand by them and to help and to save and their work with the saints is extremely clear just take a notice of these quotations In Exodus 23 and verse 20 when the angel was assigned to Israel God said, Behold I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. And there's a very succinct summary of why God sends forth the angels to minister to the heirs of salvation. God has made promises to Abraham and his seed that he will bring them into that land and that they will live forever in that land. And the angel's work is to keep us in the way and to bring us in to the land. For as it was said to Jacob, Behold, I am with thee, and I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again to this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of, to keep us into the way and to bring us into the land promised—that That is the work of the angels. And we know that the angels were very active with the people of Israel. Just consider these quotations, many of which you but perhaps when you put them together they make more of an impression of the angel that God provided the angel of his presence that was with them in the wilderness the angel of Yahweh appeared to Moses in the bush Yahweh said I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt I am come down to deliver them the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel in the cloud and the fire was the Yahweh angel and there dwelling around Israel in that cloud and in the fire at night there was the presence of the angel of God reassuring them that God was with them. And yet they questioned God's holy angel. Is Yahweh among us or not? Yahweh heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us forth out of Egypt. In all their affliction he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. This is he that was in the ecclesia in the wilderness with the angel that spake to Moses. And so we see that God provided an angel to care for his people Israel and that angel stayed with them. Michael your prince was down through history always interested in the affairs of Israel. And so we come down to today. And we are assured by the Bible that the angels are just as active today as they were in the days of Daniel and of Israel and all those in the past. Just take a notice of these three verses. It says in Matthew 18, verse 10, in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, Take heed you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. And that verse is very instructive for a couple of reasons. One, it tells us that every one of the little ones in Christ, everyone that Christ is interested in calling for his kingdom, no matter how humble they may be, that they have an angel that appears before the face of the Father in heaven. And the warning in that verse is also very clear for all of us, because... If that angel has the task of bringing that person for the kingdom of God and they go to heaven to report on their progress to the Father what Jesus is saying wouldn't it be terrible if the angel that went to heaven said to the Father I'm having trouble getting my saint ready for the kingdom because other people are offending him they're causing him to stumble they're leading him astray and every time I pick him up and get him back on the track somebody knocks him down And the name of the person that did it, could it be us? And you see, Jesus is saying, be very careful how we treat those that God has called to his truth because they have an angel assigned to their welfare. And the way we treat them will be mentioned in heaven. And that puts a whole different perspective on the way that we treat and the way we talk about and the way that we behave towards each other. Every one of us has an angel that has to answer. We don't want our name mentioned in heaven in an adverse sense. But the lesson is there. They have an angel. Every little one has an angel that looks after them. Psalm 34 and verse 7. The angel of Yahweh encamps around those that fear him and delivereth them. And that was written by David at a time of his greatest weakness. He'd run away from the land of God and down to the land of the Philistines. Put his trust in the king of Gath. Gone to the hometown of Goliath. He was at, at a low spiritual ebb and when he was trapped in that city he scrabbled on the doors of the city of Gath praying in his heart that God might get him out of this terrible scrape and he was delivered. And When he got back to the land he didn't think what a good actor he was. He wrote those words the angel of Yahweh heard my cry his eyes are upon the righteous and he delivereth those that cry to him and the angel of Yahweh encamps around those that fear him and delivereth them. And David ended up with an enormous conviction, out of weakness, an enormous conviction that the angel of God had been working in his life. And so we see that the promises are very, very clear that the angels work just as much today as they ever had done. You see, these are the clearest of Bible assurances that the angels are assigned to the welfare of the saints. Now we might think to ourselves, well, Surely God's got more to do with his angels than assign one of them to look after me. We might think that it's too much for God to assign an individual angel for us. But let's just consider what a privilege it is for the angels. We noted the other night just how many angels there are. Myriads of myriads. Perhaps millions. Let's just say conservatively one million angels. How many saints are upon the earth at any one time? How many of the children of God would need to be assigned an angel? Even today, when the truth is blossoming like it has rarely done over the centuries, there might be what, 30,000, 40,000 people that the angel would have to be assigned to? Even if there's 50,000, that's one in 20 angels that have got someone to look after. You see, it's a privilege for the angels. And think what it was like in the days when there were but a remnant. In the days when there were a few brethren here and a few brethren there keeping the truth in fear of persecution. Or in the dark ages when almost nobody was keeping the truth. What a precious privilege it would have been to be one of the angels that had the care of the saints in those days. So you see it's a great privilege for the angel to have the responsibility for a saint. And very likely perhaps once in the whole of this creation they will get one son to look after. So you see it's not a matter of God wasting his time on us. It's very much about God pulling together all of his family into one. And for the angels our spiritual welfare is an incredibly important task. And it's a task that they enjoy and will enjoy if they can bring us to be heirs of salvation no wonder they said to Daniel "O man greatly beloved you know they looked at the people of Israel and there was almost no one as Ezekiel 9 says there was no one sighing in Jerusalem for the abominations done in that place they'd gone past the mercy of God and were to be wiped out almost to a man and yet in Babylon there were the good figs the few like Daniel that were willing to put their trust in God no wonder the angels were interested in people like Daniel O man greatly beloved. So how do the angels operate? Well the angels are God's eyes in the earth. God had been to share with the angels the work of guiding his people that they might attain salvation. And it was the prophet who said to Asa the king, prophet Hanani said to Asa the king these words, When the king had shown a lack of faith by making allegiance with Syria, when he should have put his trust in God, and I said to the king for the eyes of Yahweh run to and fro throughout the whole earth and that's a phrase which is very much related to the work of the angels these are those that Yahweh has sent to and fro through the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect or upright toward him and you see God does send his angels to do that work and we have to learn to believe and not to be lacking in faith like the king Asa was the eyes of Yahweh are in every place, says Proverbs 15, beholding the evil and the good. They are the watchers, even the holy ones, that God has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And our angel is assigned to individually watch over our life. When we come to understand that concept, brethren and sisters, as I did when I was fairly young, we can have a lot of different reactions toward it. When we understand that the angels perhaps know us better than we know ourselves, that they are aware of all the things that we think and that we do, we might go through quite a range of emotions. I guess when I was young and I came across that concept for the first time, my first emotion was fear, followed by shame and by guilt, to think that there was an angel observing some of the things that I used to do. But we have to realise that the angels that are sent forth are sent forth to minister, to serve. They are not sent forth to be judges, policemen or spies. Their whole concept is absorbed in service to us, to care, to assist, to guide, to protect and ultimately to save. And when we come to see them in that light, then we can regard that angel as our best friend. Brethren and sisters, if we get through the judgment seat of Christ by the grace and mercy of God, to whom will you turn as the person who you're going to be most thankful that has accomplished that work? Certainly to God and to his Son, because we know that they are the architects of our salvation. But when we realise how much that angel has done, we're going to be very, very thankful to that angel who has been watching over us and guiding and when we realise how much they've been guiding our lives I believe they'll become our best friend. They have for us nothing but goodwill and we can only imagine how much frustration they must feel at times as we take so long to learn the lessons that are put by them in our path. Hebrews 1 is a verse that we know so well and we quote so often let's just consider it very briefly because it does give us the essence of the way the angels work an inspired comment on the angels by Paul they are servants he said public servants sent forth with a view to service and these are public servants that don't go on strike public servants that actually work public servants that are very interested in our welfare brethren and sisters sent forth, and it's in the, in the Greek that's in the continuous sense, constantly sent forth from the Father. And when they go back and report to the Father, he sends them again with further instructions and further encouragement, perhaps receiving from the archangels some hints at how they could best help us and to turn us around. And their whole life is dedicated that we might attain salvation. You know, that's a very big concept, brethren and sisters, but it's clear, simple Bible teaching. There are a set of the angels, there are a group of the angels who have this privilege, maybe for 50, 60, 70 years, of concentrating upon the life of one saint. And when we come to understand and to believe that, it puts a tremendously different perspective upon our lives. there's only one thing that limits their work and that is that they cannot force our free will we have to make the choices as to whether we go to the right hand or to the left or whether we walk straight ahead all they can do is surround us with providence and opportunities with trials and testings and to see how we react but we have to make the choice So I believe there's no question that there are personal angels. They're angels, said the Lord Jesus Christ, to behold the face of the Father which is in heaven. Now I'm going to look particularly at one man's life tonight, that we might just come to grip with this concept of angels. And we're going to look at Jacob. And i saying to Jacob because I believe that this is probably the life that will be helpful to most of us. He was one of the first years of salvation, wasn't he? But his life is useful for one very good reason, brethren and sisters. It was a life of tragedy and disaster and things going wrong and worry and misery and a life that took a long time to believe that the angels were working in it. It was a very full life. You think of all the troubles that came upon Jacob. You might think, well, so many things have gone wrong in your life that there couldn't possibly be an angel at work. Well, think of a life that had this in it. A man who was exiled from his family, who went away 40 years in fear of his brother who was going to kill him, and lived for 40 years in absolute terror of what Esau would do to him and his family. A man who left home and never saw his mother again. A man who lived in fear of the Canaanites when he came back into the land, whose sons had cruelly killed the men of Shechem and made him to stink in the eyes of all the inhabitants of the land. He was always concerned they might come and avenge themselves on him and his family. A man who was deceived by his father-in-law in the matter of his wives and his wages. Ten times his wages were changed. You think you got a bad boss? Try that one. A house full of conflict. Wives that hated each other and were always contesting for his favour. Try incest. The incest of Reuben. The defiling of Dinah at Shechem. His daughter goes out unadvisedly wandering off to meet the girls of Shechem and is defiled by the prince of Shechem and it leads to a slaughter by his sons. A house full of unspiritual and unruly children. Aggressive and, and violent and cruel sons. And then Judah marries out of the truth and gets mixed up with harlots, has Canaanite friends. You think you've got problems? How do you think Jacob felt? And then Rachel dies in childbirth and he's left with two sons to bring up without a mother. And of all his children, one son shows incredible promise and a lion eats him, or so he thinks. And then the other brothers go off to Egypt and one of them doesn't come back. And he's living in a famine. Any wonder Jacob cried out, all things are against me. You think your life's tough? Try living like Jacob, brethren and sisters. And that's why this record's here, to tell us that we have to learn to believe in the angels of God working. And we know for all of that, the angels were in control of Jacob's life. If you just think about how this life unfolded, come to Genesis 28. Genesis 28. See, we've got to learn the lesson, brethren and sisters, that providence isn't just the good news. Providence is about getting us ready for the kingdom of God and whatever that takes however difficult it may be for us to endure it's what God knows we need Genesis 28 and verse 15 when the angel came to Jacob and we see in verse 12 that he he lay down to sleep and he dreamed and behold a a staircase set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it Now straight away we've got a good clue to what this is portraying. Why was he shown this staircase? Well he was being shown in this dream that God's angels were intensely interested in him because they were ascending and descending. They were reporting back to the Father but coming back to him. And the angel confirms that and behold Yahweh stood not above it. Cross that out. The RV has quite correctly Yahweh stood by him. That's how it should read. Yahweh stood by him and said I am Yahweh Elohim of Abraham and Isaac and he promises him the land and you notice he's speaking in the first person this is Michael the archangel speaking here to Jacob and behold he says in verse 15 I am with thee and will keep thee and there's that promise of the angelic protection to his life and you couldn't get a clearer promise than that but it was given in a dream and you can imagine when he woke up in the morning and as life went on And no angel appeared to Jacob for 40 years how the dream would become dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And you and I have got the words on the paper that say the angels encamp around you and I will never leave you, says God, nor forsake you. And as the years go by and the troubles mount up, we begin not to believe it anymore. And at the end of 40 years, after all the disasters that happened to him in Haran, the bickering wives, The deceit of Laban. We come to chapter thirty-one and verse five to seven. And he gets another dream. And the angels are now trying to tell him that Jacob, it's not your wisdom, it's not your cunning that's defeating Laban. It's been me all along, like I told you, I would not leave you. Genesis thirty-one and verse five. And Jacob calls his wives to him, and he says, I see your father's countenance is not toward me as before. But the Elohim of my father has been with me. How had he come to that conclusion? Well, he explains to them. He says, down in verse 11, And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And the angel then showed him the vision of how the flocks of Laban had been transferred to Jacob. And so, you see, Jacob was now coming to realise after 40 years of non-appearance of the angels that the angels had been at work in his life. And he tells his wives that the Elohim of his father had been with him and that he had been called to go back to the land of promise. Unbeknownst to Jacob, the angel then met Laban to sort out Laban who was intent upon vengeance. Look at verse 24. And Elohim came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said, Take heed that you speak not to Jacob, good or ill. And so the angels were protecting him behind the scenes. And then we come to that dramatic chapter, chapter 32, the turning point perhaps in the life of Jacob. But he came to the land absolutely terrorised. He called this later on, the day of my distress. The day when he knew he would have to meet Esau. When he had this vision of Esau slaughtering his family and piling up in a heap. chapter 32 and verse 1 Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him and now he actually sees them in reality you see he's always been in a dream up to this time but now he's actually given a direct visitation by the angels and God drew back the curtain of the unseen like he did for the shepherds of Bethlehem and there all around Jacob were the angels of God and when Jacob saw them he said this is God's host full marks for that statement this is God's army and he called the name of that place Mahanaim and he failed on that point because you see Mahanaim means two camps and Jacob said my camp's here and the angels are camped around me but really it was one camp and that's what David picked up the angel of Yahweh and camps round about those that fear him but Jacob is still contriving He's still scheming to try and outwit Esau. He's thinking of ways of trying to pacify Esau. And all he can see is the angry face that he saw 40 years ago when Esau's walking around saying, I'm going to kill Jacob. And that face is is, is dominating Jacob's thinking. So we find in verse 7, he was greatly afraid. He was still afraid and distressed. And we might say, well, how could you be afraid when you've seen the angels camped around you? Brethren and sisters, we're like Jacob. We've had all these assurances of the angels given to us and we still don't believe sometimes. And here's a man under pressure and he's having a great struggle to believe. And so he comes back and he prays. In verse 11, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. Isn't that interesting? He wasn't so backward at taking the hands of Esau when it came to deceiving his father. The hands are the hands of Esau. And the voice is Jacob's, his father had said. And now the hand of Esau has come back to haunt him. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and smite me. And the mother upon top of the children. Look at the margin. He's got this vision of all his wives and all his children piled up in a heap, cut to ribbons by Esau. And he goes on struggling in prayer. And we know the story, don't we, that what Jacob's got is his obsession with the face of Esau. All he can see is the problems of life and we come down to verse 20 and you probably had this explained to you before but I'll just give you the literal Hebrew of verse 20 this is the last thing that Jacob says in his prayer and I'm going to read it to you literally from the Hebrew you can check this out but it says for he said I will cover his face that is Esau's face with the present that goes before my face and after it I will see his face and peradventure he will accept my face and you see all Jacob can see is Esau's face and he wants, he wants them to be at one. And he's frightened of Esau. And he sends his family ahead. And he waits there with his God. And the angel comes and wrestles with him. You know Hosea tells that he wrestled with the angel. And Jacob's got a choice to make. As the night wears on, the angel exerts just sufficient strength for Jacob to be held there. The angel could have defeated him on the first encounter as they came together. He could have touched him in the side any time during the night. But all night Jacob is struggling to hang on to this angel. And the angel gives him plenty chances to go. Let me go, Jacob. The sun's coming up. Shouldn't you be over there with your family? Shouldn't you go on scheming? Jacob hangs on he had strength with the angel says Hosea he prevailed with God by hanging on to the angel and he's come to realise now hasn't he that it's not Esau's face he needs to worry about it's finding that angel what is thy name and God grabbed hold of him through that angel and said Jacob look at me don't worry about Esau's face look at me when you're in a time of distress do you know he called the name of that place Peniel the faces of Elohim because I have seen Elohim face to face and my life is preserved in verse 30 and Jacob had come to realise that by looking at the face of God and not at the face of his problems would he be delivered and he went on his way quite confident that God would resolve the situation and so God had done it brethren and sisters And we come to chapter 35 and the end of the cycle of Jacob's life. And verse 9. When he's now back settled in the land, the angels of God had been at work, as verse 5 tells us. The terror of the Elohim was upon the nations that they would not pursue the sons of Jacob. But in verse 9, and God appeared unto Jacob again. Elohim came to Jacob again, and he came out of paid neighbor and blessed him. And he says to him in verse 11, I am El Shaddai be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall come out of thee and etc etc and we find in verse 13 and Elohim went up from him in the place where he had talked with him and so we find that, that the cycle of Jacob's pilgrimage was ended and the angel had been with him through all that time but life was to go on and for 33 years There was no more appearance of angels in the life of Jacob. There was to be the distressing loss of Rachel. There was to be the terrible loss of Joseph that brought down Jacob with grieving under the grave. He refused to be comforted even though his children tried to comfort him. It must have been a terrible distress he went through because even the hard-hearted sons later on said, We could not bear to see our father go through this again. What a tragedy that was, to lose the beloved Joseph. No wonder he said, all these things are against me. Joseph is not, Simeon is not, and you seek to take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Could anything else go wrong? Within a few days, brethren and sisters, Jacob was living in Egypt. Joseph was found to be alive. And not just alive, but ruling over Egypt. Simeon was found to be free. Benjamin restored. And perhaps most of all, his sons were now true men. And everything came together at the end of Jacob's life. And the wonderful confession we have in Genesis 48 is the mature thoughts of this man Jacob. Genesis 48 and verse 15. Upon his deathbed as he blesses the sons of Joseph he makes this most remarkable statement concerning the angel in his life. And he blessed Joseph and said God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk the Elohim which fed me all my life long unto this day and the word fed there is shepherded me Yahweh is my shepherd I shall not want and then he's quite specific isn't he the angel which redeemed me from all evil bless the lads and you see there's Jacob's superb confession of faith from a life which was At many times, unbelieving, he came to believe that the angel had been walking with him and redeemed him. Notice that, brethren and sisters. Didn't spare him the evil. Didn't take away the sufferings and the grief and the agonies of mind, the worry, the disappointments. But brought him through it. And we have to remember that when similarly situated. Are that troubles and trials are just as part of providence as all the good things that happen in our lives. Let's just take a few of the words of Brother Roberts who was a man who also understood what it was to suffer. We often say what a wonderful thing God did in raising up Brother Roberts and Brother Thomas to preserve the truth in the latter days. But think of what Brother Roberts went through how many times he went broke how many times he was without food of the four children that died in youth of the accusations he had to put up with of the strife that he went through in ecclesial life trouble is often a preparation for good even now God may be at work in our affairs not only when there is no trace of his hand but when it seems impossible he can be at work And in most people's lives there are times when we come to that point that God could not possibly be in this. You may often see that not only is God not working with us but that he's working against us. Sometimes we really struggle, don't we, to understand why God lets certain things happen. We have to realise that we live in a state of evil in this creation brought in by man's wickedness. And the angels of God are given the charge by the Father to intervene sometimes to stop the evil and other times not to stop the evil because God has in mind the ultimate welfare of his children. The very best experience at present is only a state of divinely regulated evil. The divine regulation of this may and does permit the experience of evil in severe forms by his people. Some of Jacob's experiences, however, show that the cruelest and apparently most aimless wrench of affliction may be but the preparation for the highest goodness and even sometimes in this life. You know, when Jacob said, all these things are against me, what else could go wrong? Just around the corner. God had incredible blessings for the end of that man's life. And eternal blessing all of his sons will be in the kingdom they'd be made true men you know that was even more important wasn't it than finding that Joseph was alive because all of them now would be saved and God had prepared those things in a very remarkable way that seemed to be nothing but tragedy for those involved but God was at work it's a remarkable story brethren so and sisters we can learn much from it but let's make sure we do learn from the story of Jacob there are many Jacobs in the service of God today men who have received clear gracious divine assurances of the forgiveness of sins of unfailing heavenly care and guidance and of ceaseless angelic concern for all their affairs and who yet live as though convinced that their own wit and wisdom and scheming and contriving are worth more than the anything that the heavenly minister can achieve and some of us are like that brethren and sisters we think that we've got to do all the planning for our lives we're going to map out our course in life just in case God gets it wrong it's enough to make angels weep with disappointment And we pray that we might learn the lessons before it's too late. And we have to come to understand what providence is. You know, we hear extremes in both directions. Some people are too fatalistic and end up relying totally upon themselves. And sometimes people bring providence into the smallest and most unlikely things. And really there's not a great thought of profit in trying to work out what is providence and what is not providence. What we've got to do is to do the right thing. Let me show you an example of that in Daniel chapter 3. We all know how that the angel came and rescued Daniel's friends but I want you to notice their attitude towards the trial that they found themselves in. There was neither presumption that God would deliver them or that he would not. There was an assurance that if they did the right thing that in the end the right thing would prevail Daniel 3 and verse 16 you know how the king threatened them with the burning fiery furnace and they said this in verse 17 just to save a bit of time if it be so our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand O king and they didn't care whether God delivered them in that day or in the age to come but they will be delivered from the king's hand in the ultimate sense but if not O king let it be known unto thee that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up and when they were thrown into the fire there was the son of the gods that was walking amongst them and the angel delivered them from that burning fiery furnace but that's the correct attitude to adopt towards providence we're going to do the right thing by God and let God Make the decision whether or not he's going to act on our behalf at this time. Again, Brother Roberts, Jacob illustrates very plainly the angelic nature of what we call providence. Giving affairs an intelligent bent this way and that as the occasion requires, without showing his hand. Where angels do not operate, providence is not at work. Not everything that happens in our life is directly by the interference of the angels. Sometimes the natural course of events is allowed to take its place and they do not intervene. Affairs lets them out, lets them work, work themselves out on natural principles. Yet angelic operations in ordinary life are not distinguishable from the effect of nature, the results induced appearing natural. We cannot discover their hand and need not make the attempt. Our part is to fear God and to keep his commandments and to go forth with courage and trust, believing the assurance that all things work together for good for his children. And so it's no profit in sitting down to ponder providence in our lives. What we've got to do is to believe God's promises that he will guide our lives. Proverbs 3, Trust in Yahweh with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. You see, that's why we pray to God for deliverance when we travel. In all thy ways acknowledge him. It doesn't mean that we may never have an accident. We don't know how God works in those things, but we should acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, but fear Yahweh and depart from evil. You see the action words there for us? We've got to do the right things and then allow God to work. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And we know that all things work together for good. For them that love God and are called according to His purpose. And whether things be evil, difficult, disappointing, hard to bear, all of those things in God's purpose work together for good. There are two areas upon which we can be very sure that God will be actively interested to work on our behalf. Number one is anything that is concerned with our ultimate spiritual well-being. All things work together for good. And we've got to believe, brethren, that whatever happens, God has a purpose in it. And there must be something that we can learn from it. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got in my life, in the midst of something that was most disappointing and hard to bear, was a brother who very kindly said to me, the only way you'll come out of it is to start thinking not what others have done to you but perhaps think what God wants you to learn from this experience and that's a turning point in getting through a trial particularly where we've been put under pressure by other people start thinking about what you can do to improve yourself in this situation, what you can learn from it. and God says all things then will work together for your good the other time that we know that God is vitally interested to get involved in our lives is when we're doing things that are very clearly his declared purpose. For example, preaching or going on mission work. Looking after the sheep that God has called into his flock. Our own spirituality. Knock and it will be open unto you, says the Bible. Teaching our children. I know, Abraham, that he will teach his household. All of those things are things that God will work with. Praying to God. God. Thy prayers were heard, Daniel. I am come for thy words. What we have to do is to do our part and to work with our God. Though God is with his children, he looks to them to arrange their affairs with discretion, as testified in all the Proverbs of Solomon. The human action is the basis for divine supervision. In its absence, there's nothing for the angels to work on. If we just sit down and just say, well, come on, God, do something with me, then nothing will happen. But if we go out with faith and courage and do that which is right, we obey God's commandments, we trust in the Lord, we acknowledge him in all our ways, then he will direct our paths. And he will shape us according to his hands. and there are many other characters in the Bible we could look at let's just take very briefly the character of Daniel we all know the story of Daniel don't we? the man greatly beloved how Daniel was put into the den of lions and God sent his angel and rescued Daniel from that place and why was he put there brethren and sisters? for doing the right thing praying three times a day, and refusing to be put under pressure by his enemies. No wonder, brethren and sisters, he was so loved by the angels of heaven. A man greatly beloved. That was the way the angels saw Daniel. He was an incredible person. But he was so loved of the angels because he was interested to know. He cried when he couldn't understand. He fasted night and day for three weeks to understand the prophecies. And he kept asking, how long, how long, what does it mean? Watch over the end of these things. And the angels loved those who were interested in God's word, who seek to understand. And they'll work with us to make sure that those things are open to us. A man who was told, or who Ananias was told what he was called, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And here was a man that was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to go out and to bring the whole truth of God to the whole world a man with unlimited energy to go out and to preach and you would think having been given the mission of being Christ's personal representative to preach the gospel that God would open the paths before him We well, think what happened to Paul brethren and sisters did God make it easy for his chosen messenger Think what happened to him Four shipwrecks 24 hours swimming in the water His Bible floating away somewhere Hanging onto a board waiting to be saved Four times he was shipwrecked On his journeys Five years in prison When he wanted to be out there protecting the ecclesias From the invasion of the Judaizers Five years locked up in prison Frustrated, cold, hungry Tired Perils of robbers, perils of false brethren journeyings often, fastings often, beatings, stonings. He's God's chosen messenger for the gospel. The betrayal of brethren, false accusations, people saying he's got his hand in the till, taking all the funds. People saying that he's a big head, wants all the attention. People talking about his appearance. He's a scrawly looking person. Everything was thrown against the Apostle Paul. All of Asia was turned against me. Demas has forsaken me. Did God make his life interesting? Did God make his life easy? But eventually, he made it to Rome. And after more privations and trials, his head was cut off. Because the angel of Yahweh stood by him and Paul will yet receive his reward brethren and sisters the sufferings of this life work for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory through much tribulation we'll enter the kingdom of God he realised that providence wasn't just good news that God was working mightily in his life you know Paul was extremely conscious of the angels that were around him he says we're a theatre we're a spectacle unto men we're put on show in the theatre and made fun of and laughed at but the angels also watched that the angels know what we go through. You are come by faith in the numeral company of angels. He saw himself related to the angels. He gave the Corinthians the reason the angels ought to be respected in the matter of the head covering. And he said to Timothy, be very careful how you behave in the ecclesia because the elect angels are watching. And they are very likely angels that have responsibility over the whole ecclesia. You think of this ecclesia. If every one of you has an angel the greatest part of your development is your interaction with each other that needs coordination those angels can't all act independently so maybe the elect angel is the one that coordinates the angels working in this place and they would be very interested in how you behave in the ecclesia of God and then I'd like you to come to Hebrews chapter 13 I want to leave you a couple of verses to think about tonight in this matter of our personal angels Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1 and 2 Let brotherly love continue Be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares and we know it was Abraham and Lot the faithful of old who entertained strangers who were angels unawares But brethren and sisters, this verse was written after the death of Christ. It was written at a time when the ecclesial world had been established. It was written at a time when the spirit gifts were about to disappear. And Paul says to us, living in that dispensation of things, that we could very likely actually come in contact with angels unawares. That's what that verse is saying. This is written after Christ, at the end of the spirit gifts. And he's saying to us that we could come across angels unawares. There are people that we may come across. There may be individuals that we meet that have a bearing on our life. That unknown to us are the messengers of God. I'd like you to think about that. And perhaps some of you may be able to relate some things to me.
1: We're not here to make
0: Pentecostal type statements about angels working in our lives. it and sisters, that's a reality. We need to be conscious the angels are close to us. They do observe everything that we do. They are concerned with our salvation. We may actually see them but not actually recognise them. And the final verse I want you to come to is in Zechariah chapter 4. In the days of Zechariah, they were building under all kinds of difficulties. They were under incredible pressure from their enemies. The work was enormous. There was apathy within. There was opposition from without. And twice in the visions of Zechariah, the angels standing by who spoke to the prophet, to Joshua and to Zerubbabel, gave them an incredible promise. And it was this we find in Zechariah chapter 4, in verse 9 the hands of the rubble have laid the foundation of this house his hand shall finish it and thou shalt know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me unto you you know that was to tell the rubble and later on to tell Joshua the high priest also as you find in chapter 6 and verse 15 exactly the same words And it shall come to pass, if you will diligently obey the voice of God, that you shall know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me unto you. And who's the me there, brethren and sisters? The me is the angel that was sent to stand by them. In the end, when the work is finished, the headstone goes into place, and the work of God has come to its fruition, and God has accomplished his purpose, decide all the opposition and problems you've had. In the end, would you come to the kingdoms of our world? then and only then you will really know and appreciate that God has sent me unto you and I guess most of us go through life not really appreciating just how much the angels are doing for us and we know that one day very soon God will send forth his angels to gather his saints together unto him that the angel will take us through the process of judgment and review our lives and then take us before Christ who will either confess us or deny us before the angel And if we do make the kingdom of God by his grace brethren and sisters how grateful we ought to be to that angel. Perhaps it will only be from the sanctuary of the kingdom that we will fully appreciate the remarkable hand of providence that worked in our apparently unremarkable lives. When we realise how often we were spared how often we were led away from temptation and how much the angel accomplished despite us There will be a tremendous sense of gratitude to the Father of Spirits. Let us not despise the day of small things, confident that all things do work together for our good. And let's really believe that Yahweh has sent the angel unto us.